KV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. Ah, winter camping. Combining all the amazing things we love about summer camping with the added thrill of Canadian winters. Unpredictable weather, rough traveling, heavier bags, dragging a stove with you? Why the heck would anyone do this? What do you get from freezing unnecessarily in the middle of winter? Well, I have to say, the few times I've camped in winter have been magical. There really is nothing like it. Since humans first made their way onto this continent about 20,000 years ago, we've been learning how to brave this climate year-round. But modern living has removed most of us from the connection you need to survive a winter in the rough. What does it take to rebuild that connection? Where would you start? And again, why? I wanted to know more, so I called up Joe Robinette, bushcraft specialist and outdoor enthusiast and the creator of the successful Joe Robinette YouTube channel. We talked about being in the elements in winter, how winter camping is different from summer, and why it's good to have a buddy with warm armpits close by on a cold night. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Good, buddy. How's it going? Excellent. Welcome to the Connected to the Land podcast. Nice. Good to be here. Yeah, man. So listen, I've been really looking forward to this, and I'll be up front. I'm not an avid avid winter camper, uh, but the little that I have done has been really, really magical. Yeah. Not too many people get out and do it, but uh, I think a lot of people are missing out. Yeah. I'm, well, okay. So do you... Do you actually have a love for winter camping or do you do it because you're now known as the wilderness guy? So you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess I got to do some winter camping. <laughs> no, I love winter camping. There's, um, I like being out all times of year. If I'm being honest, the fall is my absolute favorite and uh, I really like canoe tripping in the fall, but winter's uh, probably a close second there. You know, you can eat, there's no bugs. Um, there's barely any crowds of people at any kind of outdoor types of places you go, be it provincial parks national parks, whatever. Yeah. And it's beautiful. You can see things that you, you don't get to see other times of the year. You just have to be prepared for it. Yeah. I definitely love winter camping. Yeah. Oh, so what what kind of places are you going? Are, are you going back to the places you would camp in the summer or does that change now that winter has arrived? 
Uh, something it somewhat changes because like in the summer, I don't mind putting some distance down, you know, I'm canoeing or I'm backpacking and and it's pretty easy. I wouldn't say easy going, but it's definitely easier than hauling a toboggan with all of your gear across that same type of distance, right? Walking, pulling that. Yeah, of course. So no, for winter, I tend to find some cool locations that I can get to within maybe like a half a day's walk or so I'll set up there and then I can explore from there. Um, or, or I'll just stick it close, close to, um, where I park my car, you know what I mean? Walk in for half an hour or an hour Yeah. in the winter time, in the winter time, a lot of the things look the same, right? It's, it's mm. just being basically being out there. If you can find a nice frozen lake to camp by potentially ice fish or something, that's always a bonus, but uh, it's not yeah. always necessary for me. So I'm um, well, just hearing you describe that. I wonder if maybe there's something to this. I'm just going to put this out there that in the winter, when you're out there and you're camping, it's about actually being in the wilderness in winter, whereas exactly. maybe in, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe in the summertime, it's a little bit more about the actual journey itself too. Like you can actually go a little farther during a day and that's actually part of the experience. And then you find a place to camp. Yeah. You're, you're bang on, bang on with that. And different, different trips dictate different moods and different needs and things like that. Like there are times definitely in the summertime where I just paddle into one Island on a lake and just camp there and go out, you know, nice and easy. Right. But nine times, nine times out of 10, you're, you're exactly right. It's like the canoe tripping is part of the journey. Like what you see along the way is part of the journey, camping, moving and stuff. But in wintertime, it's more basically about being out there in nature, in the wild, not battling the cold, but mm. being prepared for the cold and just kind of living with it and yeah. kind of living out there. Again, remember like in most of the parts of the world where there's snow, where there, where it's cold enough, it gets dark in the wintertime around five o'clock, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you're, you have a lot of camp time. You have a lot of time where you're just kind of, you're not traveling because again, to, to, to give it a little juxtaposition, the, the summertime, the fall time, you're, you can move. I move sometimes till eight o'clock at night, depending on where my campsite is or how far I want to get to. That's just out of the question in the wintertime. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So you're, you're at camp at by three o'clock if you're trying to get to somewhere and set up and get enough firewood and cook and all that stuff before it gets too dark. Yeah. So yeah, it has a lot to do with living out in the, in the bush in the wintertime and being kind of being at one with it, to be honest with you, knowing what you have to have to wear and have to keep with you to stay warm. So does that mean that in the wintertime, you actually get a little more chance to actually take in your surroundings and, and sort of, as you say, kind of like be one in the moment? Like, is that something you look forward to in winter camping? The actual, I don't know if we can call it downtime, but the time that yeah. you actually spend being static? Yeah. So good call. Like um, for me, I, I film a whole lot. My videos are long Yeah. and I'm, I'm by myself nine times out of 10. So I, I've been doing it for so long that it's just second nature to me to grab the camera and mm. film what I'm doing or start, or start doing something to film it. So when it gets dark, it's, I, I kind of wind down wind myself down and then stop filming so much. Maybe I'll do a couple talking segments and stuff, but that does mean like I get to have more what I call camp life and I get to actually sit there and enjoy it. Whether it's something simple as, as reading a book by the fire or cutting up firewood for that fire yeah, or right. making a pot hook, whatever the case may be like when I can, cause I'm out there filming all the time. Whenever I can get a little bit of time for myself, it's always nice. And in the winter time, I do get more time for that. Like you're saying. Yeah. That must be that. That must be amazing actually, because I mean, a lot of the reasons why city slickers like myself go camping is because you want to, you know, you want to drive 20 minutes, an hour, maybe an hour and a half 
And then you find your campsite and then it's like, oh man, I can't wait to get the camp ready so that I can start sitting around the campfire with the guitar. <laughs> yes. And, you know, so uh, not to say that I haven't done it the other way as well, which is when it, it really is a different sort of animal where it's about the trip getting to the campsite and then you camp, but really it's about, oh my gosh, we're out in nature and this is amazing. You know, so the fact that winter camping has that sort of flip on its head, oh man, maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe, maybe you know, winter camping around a campfire. I mean, my guitar maybe wouldn't do so well in the cold weather, but <laughs> get an old beater or something like that because it sounds like it'd be the perfect time for it. Yeah, and honestly, dude, if you get a big enough fire going, like, it depends on how many people you have. Like, you can have a smaller fire and sit closer. But if you have a, a few people around that fire and you got you got enough bodies to cut enough wood and stuff, man, you won't even be cold. It, you can you yeah. can camp down to like negative twenty five, negative thirty Celsius what? in the cold and be fine, just sitting by the fire. As long as you're layered up and you have a good rip roaring fire with a bunch of coals, no problem. Have a little adult beverage or have a, a hot chocolate or coffee, whatever you want to have. And it's a good time. Honestly, we, we've sat around the fire and people have deep fried potatoes, made, making yeah. French fries in, in cast iron, in oil, just sitting at the fire, you know, I'm passing them out wow. around the fire. <laughs> Minus 25. I mean, that, God. Celsius, Celsius. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is a Canadian podcast. Right, so right, right, right. There you go. Um, yeah. I just, I find that incredible. I live on the East coast. So, you know, we, you know, with the wind chill, it can you get a, a day or two of minus twenty, but minus twenty five out there <laughs> sitting around a campfire. <laughs> I love, I, but you know, you make me want to do it. Listening to you talk about it, I'm like, yeah, I could, I could maybe do that. You sure. can definitely do it. Yeah. It's a good time, man. And you know what I always, you know what I always say to people, it's like, eh, don't go out into the wilderness for your first time. Like, go next right. to your car. You know, what yeah. I mean, go somewhere where you can pull up and have all the amenities you want. If you're not warm enough, you can pull an extra blanket out of your car or you can bail. There's no shame in bailing. I never, ever would judge anyone. Like if it's just not for you or if you're not prepared, yeah. why suffer? You know, why waste it? Because then you're definitely not going back out. But if you if you bail and maybe make better plans, you can go try it a second time. <laughs> you know, that, that is such good advice because I think probably a lot of people would say, oh no, if I'm going to do this, I mean, I've seen Joe's videos. I mean, I got I to gotta have the sled behind me. I got to go and I got to hike into the woods. And yeah, and then you could very easily have a bad experience. Like a million things can go wrong, especially if you don't have the experience. Man, I uh, have things go wrong all the time. Right. Well, how do you deal with them then? No, just a lot of screaming out into the air, <laughs> just kind of dealing with it. <laughs> you know, if you just like, just think about things for a little while, it always, it always ends up working. Hey, try a little bit harder. It always ends up working. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Scream into the air. That's right. No one can hear yeah. you anyway. No so, one can hear uh, you. It doesn't matter. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Well, I think probably a little bit of that is, is experience too. Like, as you say, you've been doing it for a long time and, and uh, you can sort of, you know, push the panic down a little bit because you sure. maybe have experience or know kind of how bad things can get and sort of know how to get out of it. So anything that kind of comes up, you can be like, yeah, I know I can deal with this even if it's new, but it takes a while to get to that point. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so when... When does winter camping actually start for you? I know it's not an actual day, but is it like the first time you have to like lug a stove out with you onto the <laughs> tundra? Good question. Um, like where I am now, I'm Northern Ontario near Sault Ste. Marie. So it's I, like, I'm from Southern Ontario. So we didn't really have a winter down there. So like yeah. I, I've been up here since 2018 and I'm just in my glory up here. Like we have it, we have snow on the ground uh, probably from November 
So sometimes an extreme case is May. It's not snowing, but there's still snow on the ground in May, but most times are, are April. Um, and I will, I don't know, man, I'll canoe trip until like, sometimes there's ice on, on the water uh, in the morning when I'm kind of trying to paddle out or something, oh, yeah. stuff like that. Um, but I don't know, man, November, December starts to be winter camping. I start to do more tarp camping in the fall. And, and then uh, when it starts snowing and, and the ice is, ice is up and I can't go on the water anymore, that's when I kind of put the old canoe away for the year and right. uh, pull out the sled. <laughs> right. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And I also, the weight too, I think changes a lot, doesn't it? Cause I, I've seen a bunch of your videos now and yeah. the gear that you describe for wintertime, like you're adding, you're adding a lot of weight in order Tons. to just compensate for the cold. Like what, what kind of stuff are you adding to your pack when you change yeah. seasons? Yeah. And it all depends on what kind of trip I'm doing. So if I'm doing right, a hot tent trip, uh, in a hot tent trip, I'll have an actual stove. Like you're saying, yeah. I'll have a can, a canvas tent or a big nylon tent and that's bulky. It takes up a lot of room. Uh, if I'm, and then I'll, uh, and then I'll put it in a sled and pull it obviously, cause I'm not going to have it in, in, on my back. But then if I'm cold camping, which is no hot tent, um, I have to, I have to have, I like to have a bivy, which is like something mm -hmm. that my sleeping bag goes in and my sleeping pad goes in. It kind of protects it from getting too wet and damp, uh, from the snow and stuff. Uh, a heavier, a heavier sleeping bag or two sleeping bags inside of each other, adequate clothing, like mm -hmm. multiple layers. So like at least like three pairs of socks, you know what I mean? Long johns, um, pants and then over pants. And then you'd have like long john shirt, something like a fleece long shirt on top of that, a sweater, and then like a, a puffy and then an outer shell, uh, gloves, a toque, all these things add up. Right. And then, and yeah. then also like, heavier duty axes and saws and things like that, bigger oh, ones yeah. because you need to cut more firewood, bigger, heavier, heavier duty firewood. Um, I'm sure there's other things too, like more food, uh, yeah, more right. dense food, not as much like um, dehydrated meals and things like that. Yeah. Because again, like you're saying, we're pulling in on a sled. And even though it's a lot of work, you can, if you could pull that, you could pretty much fill that sled up and pull it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, if, if you're portaging with a canoe on your back and a backpack and stuff, there's only so much you can do, or you have to start making multiple trips, which really eats in uh, on the portage, which really eats into your time and, yeah. and your energy. I mean, yeah, that seems to be, that seems to be a really huge thing. And I, I have to admit, I had never seen anyone actually camp with a stove until, I, until I'm embarrassed to say, until I watched some of your videos. Nice. And I was I was sitting there and my wife came over and she's like, what are you watching? I was <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to talk to this guy in the next couple of days. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure. I, and then, yeah, sure enough, it's like she she was convinced. He's like, that's going to burn his tent down. That does not look <laughs> safe at all. And I'm like, no, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. This actually looks, this looks really comfortable. Yeah, the hot tents are comfortable, dude. Like, um, which one did you do? You watch the one where I had the cot in there too. Yeah, that's right. You were out with a uh, with a friend of yours, and you were out. Yeah, uh, holy smokes! That was the first time I used that cot, and that was that was a game changer. At a table, I mean, I was set up. Like, I felt like I could live in that thing for two weeks, three weeks if I had the food. Yeah, it looks fantastic. And I mean, I guess back to the fire thing too. That's a really important point because I always sort of imagine you're going to collect wood for fire no matter what, but in the winter time sort of the stakes are higher too, right? I mean, like in, in the summer, there's maybe more food available to you if you actually had to rough it. But in the wintertime, like you have to keep that fire going. Like you can't, it's not about sitting around and just, you know, roasting weenies. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound, you know, like a pejorative or anything. I mean, in the wintertime, you just have to keep warm, right? So it is yeah, more no, imperative definitely. that you actually get that wood. Yeah, it's, 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 it's number one, 
camp duty by far. Um, yeah. Like as an example, like I was in Algonquin, my buddy and I did an, a trip in Algonquin Park uh, years and years ago. And we were actually, it's in the, in the middle of winter. It was negative 20 Celsius every day. And every night it was negative 40. We were there for three nights. We were supposed to be oh, there yeah. for four nights, but it was just too much for us. Yeah. So we hiked, we hiked every day pulling sleds. And like, I'm talking like putting like granola bars in our pockets to warm them up so that we could even bite into them. They were frozen so hard. Wow. Like it was okay. cold. Yeah. Um, we got to camp the first night and barely had, barely could find any firewood. So we, we literally, we got there at three, got everything ready. We literally waited until eight o'clock to start that fire to cook and everything, because we knew that we only had enough firewood for probably about an hour. So we had to just wow. kind of sit there and do jumping jacks. Like my feet were so cold. I swear, this is not an exaggeration. Mm. I was getting frostbite on my feet. We were, we were sitting there doing jumping jacks, trying to stay warm. And it, it was so bad because we're waiting for that fire to go. I had to stick my foot in my buddy's armpit to not lose my toes. Wow, really? I had to strip my my boot and my sock off. And yeah. He's like, do it. And he pulls up his coat, stick it in there. He closes it down. And I had to do that for a good five minutes and then put it, and then put it back in my sock and start Holy jumping cow. around again. Wow. Yeah, man. No, no joke. And then when we got that fire going, now, with a little bit of firewood we had, we cooked our supper, took our boots and socks off, and just sat there by the fire warming our feet. And then it was straight to bed. Because then yeah. the, the sleeping bag does its job. But... Right. So when you look back on that experience, you're like, oh man, that was awesome. I can't wait to do that again. Or you're like, well, maybe that one, yeah, we can check that one off, but I don't think minus 40 is what I'm in for. So you know what? It's funny. In Every time, it's not even just that, but like that as an example, every time something goes wrong in the heat of, in the heat of it, while you're doing it, whatever, while you're out there, this is stupid. We're not doing this again. This is dumb, blah, blah, blah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. You get in the car. It's not even, you're not even home yet. You don't even get home yet. You're in the car. No, oh, it wasn't that bad. No, it wasn't that bad. No, it was fine. We were okay. Yeah. And of course, we're egging each other on too because we try to be macho about it, right? So, no, no, I'm fine. Oh. <laughs> but it's true. And then you get home and then you're editing the footage or whatever. You're thinking back on it. And it's like, oh man, I really, I really like earned this trip. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was, right. it was, it, 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 the hardships make it memorable or whatever. There's type A fun and type B fun. And then there's sometimes even type C fun, which I think that was type C fun. But. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but that, yeah, I think, well, now I think I do know what it is now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. okay. So what drives you to do this then? I mean, obviously you come home and you're watching the footage and like, oh yeah, that was great. But in the moment, you almost lost your toes. So yeah. what makes you go back? What is it that gets you uh, out there? It's just, man, I... I grew up in so in Southern Ontario in Windsor and it's so close to Detroit that you could literally throw a rock from my hose and hit the bridge. Okay. So I'm talking right. urban, urban, yeah. urban, 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 nothing. I didn't have a dad growing up. My mom did as much as she could, but you know, it's my mom working, doing whatever. And I always like, I watched like, you know, like Fred Penner and like Grizzly Adams and like Little House on the Prairie and things like this. I was so interested in nature and mm. forests and animals and all sorts of shit like that, which I never had a chance to see or experience or anything right. until I was of the age where I can go and do these things for myself. So I'm still not bored of it. You know what I mean? It's still fresh to me. It's still, it's been 10, 12, 15, maybe even yeah, 15 years or so I've been doing it. Yeah. But that's not that long in the, in the grand scheme of things. And I'm evolving and I'm learning. When I first started, dude, I, my first trip ever was a trip to Algonquin Park with my wife, a canoe trip. And we were just dating. We were, we were like, I don't know, 20 years old or something like that. And 
not even. And we, we, we knew nothing. And we took <clears throat> a canoe trip into Algonquin Park. We had to take two canoe, two trips into our site because we had so much gear. <laughs> our canoe was about to tip over. The gunnels were like an inch out of the water. Like we oh knew absolutely gosh. nothing. Right. right. And I, and I, I remember looking at the, 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 the map and looking at all the canoe trips and the routes and stuff you could do. And me thinking, damn, I wish I could do this. I'll never be able to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'll need a guide if I want to do this, all this yeah. shit. Right. And now I'm like, I could guide people. I'm going on like two week excursions in the most remote place of Ontario. You can imagine uh, all by myself, having no problem, absolutely loving it. It's just, I, 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 I feel like I'm constantly evolving and I'm switching it up every season, right? I'm not just waiting for canoe tripping and being bored all, all winter. I'm, I'm doing winter trips. I'm doing spring trips, fall, summer. So it's, I don't know. It's just, it just keeps me going, man. Like I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm so very lucky. This is my job. You know what I mean? Like mm. this is what I've, I've made myself into this. This is what I get to do, what I get to do for a living. I love it. And I still get to do it. So it's like, I'm going to, until I don't enjoy it anymore, until I, I'm sick of it or I get injured, whatever the case may be. Like, I don't see myself stopping. Like I have, I have it really good. And, you know, I can hear I mean, it's so obvious. I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it. And uh, and I, I see you out there, like in my mind's eye. And you, like you said, your videos are long, man. You take a lot of footage while you're out there. Yeah. But I can imagine, and again, stop me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that when the camera goes off, it goes back in the case and it's just you and you're on the lake or you're in the snow and you're just out there experiencing it. Like that that must be, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that must be the reason for doing it right there. Because like you say, it's a job now, which is great, but there's the other reason why you do it, which is what got you into it in the first place. Yeah, like there's, I can't even put into words the feeling I get when I'm on a canoe trip and it's nighttime finally, like it's springtime or, or the summer and I've I've battled the bugs all day long or I've battled the heat all day long or I've portaged and paddled all day long, whatever the case may be, portage through slogs and bogs and just worked my ass off. And now finally it's nighttime, it's sunset, and I'm out on the water alone in my canoe fishing and it's finally cooling down. The, the, the sky is turning from oranges to purples to blues to pinks to everything mm -hmm. in between and the water is picking up that reflection. There's these tiny little ripples and I'm just sitting out there breathing all that in that to me is like God, like I can't yeah. even like, it's, it's more than church. It's like, I feel so renewed. I need that. Like I, I need that to keep me sane. And I've, I've, I've felt that, uh, for years now, dude, the most, some of my, my biggest decisions in life have the, the answers to them have come to me on in, in those exact situations. Hmm. I named, I named my, my, I figured out my daughter's name, my second daughter's name in that situation. I also figured out that we were going to realize that we should move where we move to now. And, and everything just kind of like is so clear in those moments that like there's no kind of any kind of money or like drug or anything that you could ever think of that would ever compare to that for me. Mm -hmm. Well, again, listening to you describe it, I mean, what you, what you are describing is what a lot of people are searching for these days. I mean, especially now that we're all kind of cooped up in our homes and everything like that, like being able to have a place, your church, as you say, like a place where you can have that kind of clarity is, is amazing. Um, Joe, in the winter times, when you go out, how long, how long are you camping these days? Yeah, it all depends. Like 
<clears throat> I like to do extended camps, but I have to be smart, right? This is my job when right. it comes down to it. So it's like people, I can, I can go out for five days and I can shoot a five day trip and I, I'll put that probably into two videos. If I put it into, into one, that's me being out there for a long time and kind of, I don't want to say wasting my time out there, but if I'm looking at, at it as a job, I could be doing more. I could be, I could be going out for one night and filming that and going out for another night and filming that and getting five videos. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to one or two. So okay. if I go out and I make two videos out of that trip, by the second video, half my subscribers or half the people are bored of that already and, and want to see something new. So that second video, that third video kind of goes by the wayside a little bit, right? Oh, Still gets yeah. views, and but but people are bored of it. And, and, and I don't want to piss too many people off either. So <clears throat> I do, for the most part, overnights in the wintertime or day trips in the wintertime where I'm going and building a sh onto a, a certain shelter or whatever. But I will do every now and then an extended camp. Like I, I have a plan to go out for two weeks this winter by myself in my hot tent with that set up with, with the table and, and the cot and everything. Yeah. So when I go out for that, I'll make a series, probably three or four videos of that. And that'll be it for the winter. Uh, and I'll stick to probably like overnights or maybe two night trips. A two night trip is fine too, to put, for me to put into one video. Um, right. A lot of the times now I don't have to travel far to shoot my videos. Whereas in years past, like I've been doing this for 15 or so years and we've only lived up here for three years. We lived in Windsor the rest of it. So right. I had to drive for so very many years so far because there's nothing, you know, obviously not from, from here, so you don't know, but there's nothing for like six hours south of Toronto. There's, yeah. there's around Toronto, there's nothing. I can't camp, I can't do nothing. So I would always yeah. have to drive. So that would add to my camping days. So really I'd be gone three nights when I was only doing one an overnight. Yeah. But now it's different where I, I, I can do it uh, a lot easier. And I would imagine that these trips would have to be shorter. I mean, the uh, the economics of it, you know, aside or the business side of it aside, just you're taking so much in that is like your food alone. Like I, unless you're actually surviving off of the land in the middle of winter, which I would imagine is much more difficult than in the summer. When mm -hmm. that goes, you got to, the trip is over. Yeah, definitely. So a couple of things now. I'm getting more familiar with ice fishing. Oh, okay. So that helps a lot. Yeah. And I have recently got past my hunter safety course and have my license and all that. So I wouldn't mind taking a squirrel or a bunny or a partridge or something along those lines. That said, you're right. A hundred percent. Like that's that's a gamble. I can't rely on that. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So food for sure. Um, the good thing is if I was going for more extended, I would start to pack dehydrated stuff, um, food that I can, I can, I can put more of in my bag. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it weighs less, it's less bulky and things, but I do want to really get into taking, uh, some game from the land. Now I, I can't really show that too much on my YouTube channel because YouTube frowns upon that, but there's, I, I, I don't have to show it all. You know what I mean? I can just kind of show what I have after the case, but. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, can you tell me a little bit about the essentials when someone's going camping in the wintertime? Like, what is it that you would consider to be an essential piece of gear for winter camping? Very good sleeping bag, um, a decent-sized axe, like a boy's axe, which is okay. like a 20, 26-inch long axe, maybe a two-and-a-quarter-pound, two-and-a-half-pound head. Um, I, I'll give you a list because, like, I think a lot of things are pretty important. Like, I, I would say a heavy duty sleeping bag because over everything, because you don't even need a tarp. 
you know, in the wintertime, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, it's not going to rain on you. Mm. If you're really, really worried about it, make a crude little bow shelter or dig yourself into the side of a snowbank, make a Quincy, whatever the case may be. If you have a heavy duty sleeping bag, you're going to be all right. I, also, I would, if you don't have a sleeping pad with you, I would always say bring a sleeping pad too. That's, that's, that's huge. But if you okay. don't have that, you can always make your bow bed as well with your axe. And your, I would bring a big saw as well. Um, so yeah, I'd say a sleeping bag, a big axe, big saw. Um, yeah, if you're a pot for sure to, to, to melt water to drink. Okay. Now, I mean, obviously, if you're taking an axe and a saw, you got to know what you're cutting too. Are you? Is there something we should know about? Well, if you're going to be cutting wood for your fire, don't cut that. That's going to be green and wet. You want to make sure you look for yeah. this or dead wood or. Yeah, in the, in, in the wintertime, it's it's a little bit difficult for some people actually to find dead wood because there's no leaves on the deciduous trees, right? Right, of course. So what what I would do is always just take my knife or or your axe and just make a little, if you're not sure, if I obviously look for the dead ones. If there's ones that don't have bark on them, if they've shed their bark or if they have a natural crack down them, those are perfect. Those are going to be dry, weathered, ready to go, good, good wood. But if you're not sure and you're looking around, I would take my knife or, or my axe and just make a little slice uh, in the bark and just upwards in the bark to see if there's green in the cambium layer, the, the layer in between the bark and the, and the wood itself. If it's green, no go. If it's brown, good to go. Right on. All and right. for like, for spruce and stuff like that, it, it, they're always going to have their, their leaves if they're alive. So they're, they're needles if they're alive. So that's a good tell as well. Yeah. And you have to have the willingness to be able to, to use these instruments too, right? It's one, it's oh, one thing willing- to throw an ax in your pack, but if you've never swung an ax before, I mean, trying to, keep yourself alive is maybe not the first time you should use it. Oh, hundred percent. No, dude. Like I've been using an ax for a long time. I'm very comfortable with one, but no, that wasn't the case all the time. And not only that, a saw, like mm-hmm. you have to have, like it, it works some arm muscles in your arm that you don't use normally. Like <laughs> yeah. for real, like I can even tell when I take a break, like a few months off of using a saw heavily or whatever, when I go back, so I'm like, Oh my God, like this is work. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, and even knowing how, the correct way to fall a tree. So obviously you're not going to go out there and cut a two foot or diameter tree, but you still don't want it falling the wrong way, falling in the water, falling in a shelter, falling on top of you, whatever the case may be. Or you can, you can even also don't want it getting hung up in other trees. So you want it falling the right way. Yeah, um, right. Of course. So definitely practicing all these things. This is why, again, I swear to God, I, 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 I'm a heavy proponent in like going camping in your backyard or somewhere yeah. that's very close to your city or somewhere that you like, maybe your grandparents have an old farm with a farm bush on it or something like that. Or, or you can maybe talk to a farmer near your house to, 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 to trade cleaning up his yard for, for being able to camp in the bush or something like that, where you can practice these skills before you go out into the wilderness, so you know them. Not not only serious things like act safety, but simple things like knots and how to set up a tarp properly so that you're not yeah. fumbling around out there with the wrong knots and things like that. And that's actually that's really good advice and brings up another point where you know it's one thing to know the essentials of tools to bring, but what aside from tools, what are some essential skills people should really be thinking about before they before they head out there? Yeah. Uh, navigation is a huge one. I'm still working on that myself. Um, navigating without a GPS is, is actually probably one of my hardest, my, my most difficult things. I, I even took orientation in school and it was, it's still hard for me. So navigation, um, knowing how to start a fire in all conditions, like inclement weather, knowing how to split down a piece of wood to get dry wood out of it in the rain, 
Um, just knowing how to pick a campsite, knowing to look up right. into the sky to make sure there's no deadfall around you or make sure that you're not in a gully or where the wind's going to kick up like crazy, how to tie, how to tie tar- uh, knots on your tarps to make life easier on you, um, how to find water, how to procure that water, how to make it safe for you, how to, how to, how to, uh, yeah, there's so many things, dude. Like there's so very many things. And the good thing is now is that there's so much information on YouTube and there's new books being written and stuff. When I started this stuff, I think it was like, I want to say like 2003, like early two thousands. And there was nothing like the, I would go to the library and I find obscure articles written online, like no pictures, nothing. And uh, I squeaked by, but now it's, it's, it's readily available. There's so many options to, to, to learn this stuff from now, which is, which is really cool actually. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's great that that stuff is out there, but I'm wondering like, you just you just rhymed off a lot of stuff that <laughs> a lot of skills that people should know. And you know, I went from being like a hundred percent, I'm going to do this, down to eighty five. I'm like, oh wait a second, now there's a lot of things I need. Like, are, are you going to put a book together? Like, I I would love I would love to know if there's like a spreadsheet or a PDF or something. Like, it, oh, Joe told me to go to here, and here's the <laughs> list of things I need to get my stuff together before I head out there. Like, is there one place where you would recommend people go to learn this? Yeah, so, so I mean, I'm your website, obviously. Yeah, I, actually, um, I've never told anybody this. It's it's still it's about to come out uh, very soon. Myself and a couple partners have made a very, very, very high quality website where we're going to sell camping gear like you'd see at Mac, like also camping gear that you would see in high end bushcraft stores, mm-hmm. and we're going to have a blog on there with things like exactly like what you're talking about. My top 10 list must haves explaining why having links to where you can get it. And this will be updated pretty often. It's going to be a a heavily used website for us. So that'll be called robinetoutfitters.com. Okay. And when is that going live? Uh, man, it should be in the next month. All right. We've been working on it since the fall. It's, it's going to be a big thing. Like it's going to be done properly. So we're just taking our time and we're going to soft open it, uh, probably about a month. I mean, if I'm, Stretching it maybe two months at the most. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll keep our eyes open for that. That's great. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So you've, you've told me a couple of the stories of you out there, but, you know, like almost losing your toes, whatnot. But, <laughs> <laughs> at, but and it's a serious thing, right? So what are, it is. <laughs> what are some of the risks people have to be aware of when they're going to go out there yeah. in, the, in the wintertime? Well, in the wintertime, for sure, hypothermia, you know, frost nip, frost bite. Um, hypothermia is no joke. Yeah. Period. Like it's no joke. Like it will take you out and you will be so disoriented. You'll not even know that you're dead. You don't even know you're going to die. You, you'll, mm. you'll rip off all your clothes and run around naked. Like it's, you, you burn up from the inside. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy thing. I've been on the verge of it a couple of times and I couldn't think. I knew what I had to do. And I just sat there looking at my camping gear, like for like 25 minutes, like with blank stare. Like, um, but <clears throat> hypothermia for sure. Um, I would say just like if there's going to be a snowstorm or something like that, like you really need to know where you're going. Like don't rely on just backtracking in your footsteps to get out, even if you're only in a half an hour or whatever, like uh, that, those footsteps, those footprints will get completely blown over, completely filled in. You'll have no idea where you are. Yeah. Um, be careful around the ice and the water. 
You'll never mm-hmm. know if there's a stream running underneath, if it's a river, or if even if there's just like a pocket, like it, it can be so un- unsafe. So you really have to know how to read your ice or be with people that do, or just stay off of it completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, don't eat the yellow snow probably is a good one. <laughs> good. Yeah. That's yeah. Even in the wilderness, that's a, it's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. But even, even in other times of the year, like when I'm, when I'm uh, camping in the springtime, like I've been on a, a canoe trip, a five day canoe trip, early May. Um, and it, it, it poured rain the whole time. And I'm talking right. like, it was very cold and poured rain like the whole time I was, I was, I was out of it, man. Like I had to wear a neoprene, everything and every piece of gear I had plus my rain gear and I was still shivering. Yeah. It was really rough. So you need to know how to stay warm. You got to keep, keep moving. And then as soon as you stop moving, you have to, you, ha- you have to, have to, have to have an ep- extra dry pair of long johns at least yeah. uh, underwear, top and top and bottom and socks to change into it and to, to be at least able to huddle in your sleeping bag until you can get enough warmth to cook your, your food or whatever the case may be, because I definitely had to do that a couple of those nights. And if it wasn't for those, that dry pair of underwear, long johns and my mm-hmm. sleeping bag, I, I wouldn't have made it out of there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah. harrowing to think about it. Um, right. you know, I remember in, in Cub Scouts growing up and we would go camping, they would always say, you know, even like change every, take every bit of clothing you have had on during the day, even if you think it's dry and take it off and put, you know, whatever it is you're going to sleep in on and do the same thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that, you know, I don't know, this, this is a while ago, right? So tell me, is there any truth in this? Yeah. Were, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it is. That's what people still say. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm really bad though for not doing it. I, oh, okay. I, t- I tend to over... I tend to overdo the sleeping bag warmth because I'm a cold sleeper anyways. I'm a little guy. So if say like I'm on a, on a, on a summer trip, I'll bring like a, a warmer bag than needed. And I'll just, I, I normally just sleep in my clothes, like especially in the, in, in the fall and in the, in the winter time, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sleep in my coat and everything. Um, but that again, that is my, with my sleeping bag being overrated. So I don't know. It is, I don't, I don't want to tell people that that's the way to do it because I, I have heard personally and have been taught that what you said is correct. Okay. All right. Uh, Joe does it differently. Well, Joe does a few things differently. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I really want to ask you about this one. I told you in the pre-chat, I was going to ask segue. you about this. What a segue. <laughs> I know. That's why I get paid the big bucks. Uh, <laughs> so you're not just camping in the wild. Sometimes you're camping in parking lots. So <laughs> can you tell me about this experience of sleeping in a snowbank in a Walmart parking lot? Where the heck did that come from? Yeah. So there's a, a YouTuber, Steve Wallace camping with Steve. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's blown up lately uh, over the past couple of years. And he, his big thing is stealth camping. Okay. And he does all these crazy stealth camps, like behind a police station or in an airport parking lot in his car and like all these weird things. And I was like, and he, and I see people are really digging it. And, and I actually do too. I thought it was pretty cool. The guy, he's a cool guy. He's, he's a down to earth, normal guy. And, um, he just likes having fun. So I saw, I saw people liked it and I, I'm kind of thinking like, ah, it seems pretty cool. I'm driving around the city and I see at Walmart, they had plowed the, the, the parking lots in these huge piles. And I'm used to building Quincy's where like I'm building the piles of snow and then hollowing them out and camping in them. I'm like, well, the work's half done for me already. Okay. And right. like, I think this will be a cool video. I'll get the Walmart sign in the, in the, in the title or in the thumbnail. And so I go in the, <laughs> so I go into the store and I buy I buy all the gear. I, I, I went home and I, I made a plan. I came back. 
I don't live anywhere near. I'm about an hour away. Right. Okay. So I came back a couple of days later and I went in and I bought 90% of the gear that I need, needed to camp. I bought a shovel and I bought a couple sleeping bags and I wanted to buy a sleeping pad, but I could only find some yoga mats. So I, I bought okay. those and yeah. And and I ho- hollowed out this this uh, snowbank by Walmart. People are looking at me and, and all feeling a little weird. But I got in there and cooked up my my Tim Horton soup that I bought in Walmart <laughs> on my little stove and right. just kind of huddled in, a little burrowed in for the night and uh, yeah. got out of there before it was too light in the morning. Before people started walking around and thinking those you know just. just homeless in there or whatever, <laughs> but right. it, was, it was an experience, man. I like, I'm not going to make that the new norm at all. Like I okay. do love the, the wilderness is my, is my home. That's my thing. But like, it's just fun. I'm just switching it up. You know what I mean? You got, I've been doing videos for freaking 12, 15 years. I gotta, I gotta change things up every now and then, you know? Right. right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Cause when I was growing up again, another story that was told to me is that you never, you never make a snow fort in a snow bank, especially by a parking lot or the street, because the plow is going to come and it's going to, it's going to plow you back in. Like, were you ever thinking to yourself, you know, this is not the wilderness. This is, you know, somewhere downtownish. Maybe this, maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> no, I wasn't concerned about that. My only concern was like random people coming and like poking their head in and like, right. Uh, at all hours of the night type thing. No. So definitely that is a concern, but I timed it where I knew that well, actually in the forecast, there was no snow. So I wasn't worried about them plowing. But then it actually ended up snowing a little bit when I was out there. So I kind of got worried, but nothing, no accumulation. But I, I did on the other side of the bank. Like they, the plow would have had to drive off of off road completely under the grass where it's all snow and come up on my side. And then he would have seen me. And and if he would have done it from the other side, it was so high up that he would have just been able to shave like the top like couple feet up. And I was like, I, I want to say. 15, 20 feet down, like oh, okay. nothing, right. would, nothing would have happened. And I would have felt it and heard it. And I could have, I could have shimmied out there. I had a lot of people saying that too, in the comments and stuff like that too, which definitely it, it is a concern. If you don't know the whole, the whole scheme of things, I, I did it as safe as I could. And yeah. still something, something could have went wrong, but I, I, something can go wrong every time I go camping. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, making a cave in a snowy bank and sleeping in it for a night sounds that sounds awesome. But, you know, I mean, as you say, like something can go wrong. I mean, is there something that people should know listening to you? Like you are, you're a professional, like you're an expert at this, you know what you're doing, but could someone, if someone were to watch that video and say, that sounds, that looks amazing. I want to try something similar. Is there something you would say to them first? Like, be sure you want to check the snowbank for X, Y, and Z, or only do it on this kind of weather or is there something that we that we should know? Yeah, like definitely don't do it. Period. Don't go to a Walmart <laughs> right. and park and, and and camp in the in the parking lot. Do not do that. Okay, but if you're going to do it somewhere else or right. something you've built or whatever, you need to make sure. Like, say I'm building it myself. I I pile that snow like six to eight feet high, and I let that sit. And all uh, that snow is it it. It's all mixed up snow now, right? Because it's snowed and accumulated on the ground over different over the course of the winter, and it's different textures of snow, different kinds of snow. It's solidified, it's melted, it's frozen, it's powder. So all that snow gets mixed up when it's piled up together, and that kind of binds it together. And you need to leave that sit. You need to leave that pile sit for like a day, like a full day. If you do it, if you get do it oh, okay. in the morning, maybe you can dig it out at night. If you do it at night, dig it out in the morning. Finally, after that's sit and solidified, then you dig it out. And you need to leave a foot of space all the way around at least. So 
So what some people do is take sticks and they break them about a foot long each and stick them all in the pile before they start digging. So that once they hit those sticks from the inside out, they know uh, you how deep they've gone. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to do it in a bent, in a pile that, that a plow did, it's going to be plenty big. You don't need to worry about that at all. And that plow has, has done the same thing that you've done. Yeah. That's, that's churned up tons of different snow and it's been sitting there for however long. Uh, some people put a candle in it when they're done digging it out to kind of solidify the top, oh, yeah. but that's, that's more just so that you don't get snow raining down on you. But I think as long as you can stand on top of it comfortably and you're not claustrophobic, you can, you have a big enough hole where you can get out and you feel comfortable, then I think it's a totally safe thing to do. People have been doing it in Quincy's built themselves for years. It's actually taught in survival school and survival manuals and things like that. I have done it countless times. We did it in school. Hmm. It can't be dangerous. It can't be that dangerous if they're letting kids do it in college. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, a, there's definitely, a, it's definitely a real skill. It's a real thing. Um, yeah. Just done properly. Joe, this is this has been fabulous. Like, <laughs> thanks so much. I, I've learned a lot from this. Uh, my eighty-five percent has gone back up to it's closer to ninety-nine percent now Bonus. of how much I want to do this. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talking to us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Connected to the land is a PV Industries podcast, produced by Village Sound, and I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening. <laughs>